0: Are you ready for this? Ready. Hey, everybody. This is Tom Salemi. Welcome to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast uh, post- Device Talks Boston Edition. Actually, this is the pre-post Device Talks Boston Edition. We were doing a Device Talks Boston Edition. I need a little more time on it. Uh, I've got some uh, great insights from our editorial team that was on hand. I'll uh, bring you one of the interviews, but uh, I was not able to get everything together for you this week on Friday, but I didn't want to leave you without a uh, podcast episode. So uh, first, I just want to give a a summary of the, the last Two days, or, or May tenth and eleventh. Device Talks Boston was uh, was an extraordinary success. It was an uh, amazing experience, uh, wonderfully gratifying. Thank you to everyone who came up and said hello and offered kind words about what we're doing here. It's uh, very, very meaningful that you uh, you did that, and really is uh, is something I'm, I'm carrying with me. So, thanks again to everyone who uh, who attended, who said hello. And who enjoy the conference? Uh, it seemed to be a, a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm, and uh, a lot of positive feelings throughout in, in following the conference. So we are uh, grateful to all of our sponsors for their contributions to the conference. As I said on stage in the morning of May tenth, this does not happen without them. So uh, we are grateful that they uh, they stood up. And, uh, and believe in this conference at a time when we were, weren't even sure whether events were, were fully coming back. So thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to all the speakers. Again, we had over 100 speakers and just um, hours and hours upon quality content. I was frustrated that I couldn't see some of these panels that I, that I helped put together because I had to be in other rooms. And uh, so I'm sure attendees felt the same way. But it's a good problem to have. And uh, we are going to do it again next year, May 10th and 11th. At the Boston Convention and Exhibition Center, 2023. So please save the date. We will make it bigger and we will make it better. And I hope you will be there. So we will uh, again give you the full conference post-game next week. I'll uh, I'll share the, uh, the the comments and observations from our editorial team, and uh, we'll include an interview or two from the conference. So uh, please be patient, and uh, would. Uh, ask that you enjoy or hope that you enjoy this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast that I added onto the tail end of this. If you haven't caught it yet, that was an interview I did with uh, Austin Chang, Dr. Austin Chang. He's the new CMO of Medtronic's gastrointestinal programs, very interesting gentleman. Uh, He uh, comes to Medtronic and to medicine with uh, a, a really strong social media following and sort of an understanding of what Doctors could or should be doing in social media, so we talk about that, and we talk about the gastrointestinal opportunity, uh, gastrointestinal products at Medtronic. So, if you haven't checked it out, uh, I hope you'll enjoy it, and uh, we should have the uh, the post game episode from Device Talks Boston to you next week. So have a wonderful weekend, everyone. Thank you again to everyone who is at Device Talks Boston. And thank you again to everyone who wanted to be there or just listened to this podcast. It's great to have you as part of our community. Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our second season of Medtronic Talks. In our first season, we spoke with the leaders of Medtronic's operating units to better understand the direction of each of the businesses. Now, with their courses set and clear, we're going to talk to the engineers, scientists, physicians, and other experts who are executing on these strategies. We'll still keep a tight focus on each of Medtronic's businesses, but we are going to get a lot deeper into these stories. Let's go. Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to this episode of Medtronic Talks. It's long been a complaint of mine that medtech people don't tweet. Not a lot of activity on social media from the medical device industry, not as much as I think there should be. And my guest today is going to change that, at least I hope so. His name is Austin Chang, Dr. Austin Chang. He is the new chief medical officer for Medtronic's gastrointestinal business. Prior to his joining the company, he built up a sizable social media following, on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, you name it, he's uh, very capable, very entertaining, and uh, he's bringing a message for other med tech professionals and medical professionals that uh, social media isn't something to be afraid of; it's something to be utilized. And we'll talk a bit about that today on the podcast. We'll also talk about why he decided to uh, to cut back on his clinical business and joined Medtronic as its CMO of his gastrointestinal business. He's excited about AI-powered devices like GI Genius. He's excited about PillCam, and he uh, said he sees this as an opportunity to help many, many more patients. So uh, I really enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Austin Chang, and at the end, I'll uh, ask him for, uh, for some advice on behalf of medical device and clinical professionals who are thinking of getting on social media, what platforms does he recommend? Well, before we begin this episode, I'd like to bring in our sponsor, Boston Microfabrication. Let's hear from John Kowola. He is the CEO of Boston Microfabrication. John, tell us what BMF does.
1: BMF is an additive manufacturing company. It was started in 2017. And we started this company to address a problem and an opportunity that we see out there in the market. For companies that typically make parts that require very high tolerance. And and when I when I talk about high tolerance, I mean plus or minus you know, tens of microns. These can be larger parts, but they tend to be smaller parts in general, parts that are sort of on the millimeter scale. This is in medical devices, this is in electronics, this is in uh, photonics and optics. And 3D printing has been around for 30 years, but there hasn't really been a technology to date that can effectively prototype at that scale. You know, more interestingly, uh, companies are looking to th- to think beyond prototyping and look at additive manufacturing as an alternative to what they're using today for, for manufacturing. So that's really what we're all about. And uh, you know, we're out there, we commercialized the technology, started selling uh, to uh, getting systems in the field, making parts for customers uh, in early 2020.
0: We'll hear more from John Coola a little later in the podcast. If you'd like to find out more information about BMF, go to its website, bmf3d.com. Now, let's begin this interview with Austin Chang, Chief Medical Officer of Medtronic's gastrointestinal business. Well, Dr. Austin Chang, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited
0: to have you. I mean, you are, you are plugged into social media. Certainly, we can go over uh, all of your accounts and all of your stats. You're, you're out there. And I want to talk about your philosophy on social media because I think you're very upfront about your belief that other physicians should follow suit if it's their thing. To help get the word out, but I'd like to go way back and understand how you found your way uh, into medicine. How'd you choose this career?
2: Yeah, absolutely. There are a couple medical professionals in my family. My grandfather was a surgeon in the World War II era. Wow. I also have cousins who are physicians as well. And so I, I'm very lucky to have that exposure early on. And, you know, it, it became kind of in my own evaluation process a decision where I was able to just combine my interest in taking care of people along with my interest in science. And mm-hmm. I thought medicine was the perfect blend of that.
0: Are you primarily or, or are you first a sort of a people person or a science person? Or is it a stupid question you don't really need to choose?
2: <laughs> I think I'm a little bit of both. So <laughs> not a stupid question, but I think it's a fair one.
0: <laughs> That's great. And uh, how do you find your way into uh, into the specialty?
2: Yeah, I mean, that was uh, also not a direct path for me. I went into medical school with a very open mind, wanting to explore all different specialties. I kind of knew that I wanted to do something procedural, but still ultimately pursued internal medicine at the beginning because of my interactions with the residents who I worked with. And from there, I kind of explored various different options, including critical care, interventional cardiology, but gastroenterology really stood out for me because of the variety of the different conditions that we treat, the different organs. That are involved, as well as the technology, and being a procedural field, you know, it comes with a lot of fun gadgets and toys, and um, and that's something <laughs> that really piqued my interest, and uh, and a lot of different hot topics that were being explored in the field, you know, whether it's with artificial intelligence or the gut microbiome or obesity. So there were multiple reasons for me ultimately coming to that decision.
0: That's a great point. There there does seem to be a lot of uh, there's always been the technology devices sort of in this field. Obviously, people are familiar with colonoscopies and the other procedures that we all come run into at some point, but with the microbiome and the GI genius and other technologies, there seems to be we're at I think an inflection point with technology in this space. Do you agree that it's really starting to get even more exciting?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's a very very exciting time in medicine and especially in gastroenterology. I think we're at a critical tipping point because with artificial intelligence and machine learning, it's just recently introduced through Medtronic with our first to market pop detection device, GI Genius. And I think that that has really heralded a new era in in our field.
0: Talk a bit about your, uh, we'll get into the, the tech in a bit, but I am curious about your move to Medtronic, your your decision to to move into industry. How did that come about and what made you decide to take that leap?
2: Yeah, honestly, this was a little bit of an unexpected move for me. I was approached with the opportunity and simply couldn't pass it up, given the idea of being able to learn more about how everything comes together, what it takes to bring innovation to the masses, uh, to the general public. And ultimately, you know, I think that, you know, I've had an interest in trying to reach patients at a population level Mm -hmm. and uh, through social media. And industry and Medtronic and being able to introduce uh, technology on a much greater scale uh, really was a tangible way of doing that. That's a great
0: point. No, it's been said before by others who have moved into the CMO positions that this is their opportunity to treat thousands of patients instead of one patient. Is, is that Absolutely. how you see it as well?
2: Exactly. No, that's exactly where my mind was at.
0: What was it in particular? Let, let's talk a little bit about then Medtronic's portfolio. I'm sure you don't take a job with a company unless you're excited about their <laughs> offerings. You want to have something fun to talk about. So just run me through maybe two or three of the, if you can only limit it to that, two or three of the high points in Medtronic's portfolio that got you uh, excited enough to move over.
2: First of all, I think from a 30,000 foot view, it was very fascinating to me to think that when I was in medical school, the gastrointestinal business of Medtronic hadn't come together in the way that it currently, in its current state. And, Mm -hmm. and now it's really had a tremendous impact. If we think about the esophagus, for instance, whether it's movement disorders of the esophagus or other precancerous conditions like Barrett's esophagus, these treatments and diagnostic technologies, we really have a huge presence in, and so, you know, in a very short amount of time, Medtronic has become a very important part of my field on top of that you know again when it comes to the variety of this uh, gastrointestinal system there's also the pancreas and the liver and we have technologies like needles that allow us to sample those organs as well and now mm. with gi genius and going into artificial intelligence this entire variety of technologies that span not only different organs within the gastrointestinal system but also the care continuum i think was just fascinating to me
0: where is this technology leading us? Is it making things like colonoscopies less invasive? And well, I have to say, all the talk about it, it's not as bad as, as people make it out to be. Are we going to be able to, are you going to be able to do a better job with diagnosis and with treatment? I mean, are we, we're we in the cusp of, of identifying new diseases and, and treating them more effectively. What will this influx of new technology result in?
2: Yeah, I think one of our key goals is trying to introduce ways to detect conditions earlier and Mm -hmm. treat conditions earlier. And I think that, you know, there are many ways in which we can improve upon, you know, the current methods. And I think one thing that distinguishes Medtronic's technologies within the GI space, uh, as compared to some of our competitors, is that our technologies are very sophisticated. It's very exciting to see kind of how we're leveraging technology and not just simply certain devices that are more kind of mechanical. To mm-hmm. impact both the diagnosis and treatment.
0: Let's talk about specifically about the the GI Genius. This is the, the kind of tech, the kind of tech, the kind of devices that I think is right down the middle of the pipe for you uh, in terms mm-hmm. of conveying the excitement to the population. Talk a bit about the GI Genius, what it is, what it's capable of. How do you tell this story to uh, to the general population?
2: Yeah. So the GI Genius platform is basically the first to market artificial intelligence powered colon polyp detection device. So, you know, when we think about the precursor to colon cancer, which is the second most common cause of cancer deaths in the country, you know, we have ways to screen for colon cancer, but the colon is an organ where, you know, currently we take a look with a colonoscopy But, you know, to our own naked eye, we can only see so much. And so with the help of artificial intelligence, this device can actually help target and show different polyps that potentially we might have missed Mm -hmm. during our procedure. So there's actually a recent study that just came out uh, in recent weeks that shows that the GI genius device can actually reduce the number of missed adenomas, which is a type of uh, precancerous polyp by 50%. So it's wow. very significant. In simple terms, the way we think about it is it's basically another set of eyes to help the endoscopist, the GI doctor with their procedure to be able to see things that they may have missed in the process.
0: I think it's fascinating. When surgical robotics first came out, especially for orthopedics, there was always the argument that large joint replacement was so successful, you really didn't need this technology. And I feel like similar things have been said with with colonoscopies, with examining, looking for follow-ups, that if it's a successful procedure and doesn't really... I don't know if anyone has said it doesn't need to be improved upon, but one could argue that you folks were doing a great job already. But it sounds mm-hmm. as if sometimes we don't know what we don't know with new technologies. And you bring the new technology in... And you realize perhaps things weren't as effective as we thought.
2: Right, exactly. And then, you know, we all know that there are, you know, natural limitations to what we do in medicine. And so anything to improve outcomes and the data currently suggests that it's actually helping us, you know, make sure not to miss polyps and to be able to reach those goals.
0: Excellent. What are a couple of other things in the portfolio that uh, that have you excited? We'll take a quick break from this interview with Austin Chang to bring back our sponsor, BMF. Once again, I'm visiting with John Kawola, the CEO. John, what makes BMF's approach unique?
1: So 3D printing has been around for 30 years, and there's a number of different uh, sort of core technologies that uh, have been developed from extrusion to to photopolymers, to metals, powders. We're different really uh, than anything that exists on the market today. We've taken a, a general concept that's used with some other manufacturers and we're using a photopolymer process, but we've added a number of different components and features. One is a high precision lens. Two is a very highly controlled XYZ movement because people care about resolution, but they also care very much about accuracy and precision. And that's what really makes us different from what's available on the market today.
0: That's great. And final question, John, where does this all fit into gastrointestinal and medical devices?
1: Because we're addressing needs in the marketplace for high precision, accuracy, Again, that falls into a bunch of different vertical markets, but medical device is very much an area that is looking to miniaturize, whether that's uh, drug delivery devices, whether that's monitoring devices. These are all areas that medical device manufacturers have been chasing for years to be able to get things smaller, to be able to miniaturize things like uh, sensors and uh, diagnostic devices are all getting smaller. Lenses are getting smaller. But what's, what is challenging is often the packaging and the, the, the plastic uh, components on the polymers that sort of house those, those components. So what we're finding is a, re- a real need for addressing that drive to miniaturization. A very good example is endoscope heads. So that is sort of the tip of an endoscope. Typically, it's a very complex, small part with uh, holes and features on both sides of the part uh, challenging to mold, expensive to mold. Uh, endoscope heads are a, a very good example of something that's also a consumable item, typically use it once for procedure. So that's very, you know, well within the reach of what's capable of that additive manufacturing. So we have a number of different uh, companies, you know, looking at this and saying, one, it's ideal to prototype, but two, to really looking for this as an alternative to current uh, manufacturing methods, which is primarily injection molding. Again, is expensive um, and time consuming, and 3D printing is a nice, could, could potentially be a nice alternative.
0: All right. Thanks again to John Koala and BMF for sponsoring this podcast. Again, go to BMF3D.com for more information. What are a couple of other things in the portfolio that uh, that have you excited?
2: One of the other items in our portfolio is capsule endoscopy. our capsule endoscopy product, which is pill cam. It's basically a pill that is also a camera that allows us to take a look through the GI tract through the gut and take pictures, you know, as it's going through the gut and potentially diagnose certain conditions. And, you know, it's interesting how that has also totally transformed our field and is very commonly used to diagnose certain conditions. And, you know, I think some of the other products that I mentioned earlier, like the esophagus type of products that help us diagnose certain movement disorders and treat other precancerous conditions, all of it is really not just exciting, but really critical to what we do.
0: Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So let's talk a bit about your work with social media. I, I, I know you've going into practicing medicine. Was this something that you saw as an element of your... <laughs> your MD game that you were going to have this as part of your story or did it sort of just no. evolve naturally, how did, how did it all come together and, and yeah. talk a bit about your, your first entry into social media?
2: Absolutely. No, it was not something that I had kind of focused on as a primary kind of pursuit of mine. But, you know, social media has always been something that I've been interested in. Having grown up in this generation with MySpace and Facebook coming out during my freshman year in college, I was the target audience for that platform at the time. And so, you know, it was only later on when I realized that patients were coming into the hospital after having heard things on TV or through the media or through social media and getting all sorts of different kinds of recommendations or suggestions whether or not they were evidence based and that's what really got me into thinking about okay how can we leverage the reach of social media because i recognized that it was a great tool in reaching people that i otherwise wouldn't be able to reach outside of the hospital and use that in a way to educate and convey accurate health information and and from there i kind of went from platform to platform i've since helped our professional societies within my field. I have also ended up forming a nonprofit professional society of my own and collaborating with the social media platforms directly themselves. And, you know, honestly, the pandemic has also catalyzed the movement towards trying to understand how to better address health misinformation online. You know, prior mm-hmm. to the pandemic, there wasn't quite as much attention on this, but we clearly see how social media can potentially impact public health and public opinion on healthcare and health professionals. And so it's really become kind of a much bigger thing than I ever anticipated.
0: <laughs> I believe it. So what, is, what for you has been the most effective platform to get out there? Has it been TikTok, the, the videos, or is it something more substantive?
2: That's a fantastic question. It really depends on which platform, which audience I'm hoping to speak to. Certain platforms are where the professional community congregate. For instance, Twitter is really where I I am able to best reach some of my colleagues and um, productive discussions around certain health topics there. But if it's about reaching the general public, yes, I would say TikTok and partly due to how the platform is constructed and their algorithms. That determine what content shows up in front of the viewer so you know especially during the pandemic when there was was a lot of attention on health topics it was a great way to really educate and get the message out quickly uh, about you know certain recommendations that were just coming in rapidly real time
0: well, let's talk about i'd like to actually take them bit by bit i mean twitter let's talk about twitter i mean I, i'm on twitter i'm out there i've been on it for I don't know how long, probably 10 years, but obviously the last two years have been really intense, <laughs> especially with, with vaccines and with this discussion and that. And you're, you're finding if you need to find someone to support your argument, you can find that person on Twitter. How do you sort of cut through all of that and just sort of present yourself as a source of information rather than a supporting a specific
2: point of view? I think that's a great question because it's not easy. And that's the reason why I think misinformation is easily propagated is because often what is just attractive and sounds appealing can be very convincing. But I think that especially when it comes to science and health information, being able to back it up with legitimate sources or primary literature is often very helpful. For those of us on social media as health professionals, I think that, you know, displaying our credentials is also important. I've been encouraging many of my professional colleagues for years to get on social media, because they're truly the ones who are generating the evidence to support those arguments and who are legitimately the ones who are, are supposed to be talking about this because they're trained to talk about these subjects. So I think hopefully over time, people can better identify who they should be trusting. Um, and you know I think one thing I always encourage followers or viewers to do is just to double and triple check who they trust online. Mm-hmm. You know, do their own due diligence and try to figure out whether or not, you know, they are actually practicing where they say they're practicing and whether or not they truly have academic credentials that they say they have and and things like that.
0: How thick is your skin? <laughs> Cuz when you put something <laughs> when you put something out on Twitter, I know I I pause before I push I push the button and just read through it one more time because it's out there. And I'm sure yeah. your following is much, much larger than mine. It's also unfortunately in a time where people are enjoying calling physicians into question. How do you sort of manage the return of information or feedback from folks in Twitter and other social media? How do you how do you sort of ensure that you're not getting swallowed up by the, the back and forth?
2: Yeah, I think that it can be tricky trying to figure out which conversations are productive. Sometimes there are people out there who are just trying to provoke without really an end goal or without the intention to try to have a productive exchange. And so, you know, I try to gauge that on my own. And I kind of on the same token, you know, I I think that it's understanding the audience that we're speaking to and, you know, keeping an open mind and not necessarily, and acknowledging that there can be gray areas, especially in science, things evolve all the time. And I I think is, is really key. I, I try to, you know, part of my goal on social media is not just to throw facts out there, but also to humanize the profession. I think that at baseline, the distrust that people have in health professionals isn't going to be fixed just by learning the facts, but also just bringing ourselves closer in understanding that we have the same interests and the same struggles and um, and same questions, oftentimes. And so I try to show that, you know, I'm a human being as well, and I have the same. Interests outside of work, as as other people do, and I think putting that on display can help bridge the divide a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And and then we can engage in conversations without throwing things uh, around (laughs) (laughs) too carelessly. And it's hard, admittedly, on platforms like Twitter where there is a character limit, and things can be easily taken out of context because you know you have to condense it into a very short tweet. Yeah,
0: no, that's very true. And 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 to your point about humanizing medical professionals, I mean, I think that's that's clearly has happened over the last couple of years where you're seeing a lot of pain and anguish from folks who are exhausted, frankly, from everything that's mm-hmm. gone on and everything they've had to do. You're out there as well. You're reading the same things I'm reading. What do you feel when you read the difficulties that your, your colleagues are having?
2: Yeah, I mean, I really feel for my colleagues and clearly, you know, I, I am currently still working in that environment to a certain extent. I think the challenge is that because of our need to respect patients' privacy, it's difficult to talk about our experiences and reveal kind of exactly what's going on behind closed doors. And there are very real challenges in healthcare. It's a very convoluted system and, you know, there's a lot of documentation and other types of responsibilities that are only increasing year after year for the, the professional community. But I think that, you know, many of us are still driven by our desire to Take care of patients, and and that's what keeps us going. And so, you know, I, fortunately, the kind of pros of social media is that you know we've been able to come together as a community, and you know share those experiences with one another, and and understand that you know none of us are alone in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's been tremendously helpful. It's
0: a great point. Everyone who does put out a call for help or of anguish, they get immediate support from others in the industry. And I know it's only through Twitter, but it has to provide some some boost. Are you still practicing? I am. <laughs> okay. How how often are you practicing?
2: I am part time now at Jefferson Health in Philadelphia, okay. uh, where I practice as a, as a advanced endoscopist and bariatric endoscopist. So, kind of mainly a procedural type physician. This large academic center, and it's several days a month. But I think it informs what I do here at Medtronic very well. I think it's important to, you know, still have my hands active in that way.
0: No, that's good. You anticipated my question on that. So going forward, broadly about the medical device industry, I think it's been slow to sort of the social media game. There was no one, no one out there from medtech startups in particular tweeting or out there. There was it wasn't in their self-interest to get out there and, and really promote themselves. I think that's changing. I mean, I know Medtronic has a has a huge presence, and I've given them credit privately and do it publicly for sort of supporting a podcast like this one where we're able to get their stories out directly. So going forward, how do you sort of meld your Proficiency in social media with your work at Medtronic? And do you feel that the industry broadly and that the company, I guess, specifically sort of supports getting everything out there and, and, and engaging patients so directly? Do, do you feel that you've got a green light to keep doing what you're doing?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that there are guardrails in place for good reason. Yeah. But I think that, you know, one important thing I think we could do better at, you know, in terms of in healthcare in general. It's just providing more context. So it's not necessarily speaking about products specifically, but increasing awareness about the diseases, increasing awareness about the medical device industry and what's done within the industry. You know, even among health professionals, that's a message that I'm trying to convey is that there are a lot of hardworking engineers and other important people within these companies who are driven by having these conditions themselves that they're trying to contribute to. And there's still, you know, a lot of misunderstanding and misconceptions that we can address. And, you know, not only within the device industry, but within healthcare in general, you know, I think that there's a lot of just misunderstanding of why things are done a certain way or how healthcare works. And if we can use social media to clear that up and be able to help help everyone out there better interpret what they're reading online. I think that would be really helpful. You know, even thinking about a lot of the science that's being presented through conventional media or mm-hmm. through social media, helping everyone understand how to interpret that science is really important. You know, going beyond the headline, beyond the kind of basic facts and numbers that, that they're being shown, you know, how do we know that the statistics that they're being shown is, you know, representative of what we need to know. And, you know, make sure that the, how to make sure that the source that it's coming from is is valid and legitimate and things like that, that those types of context clues, I think over time, hopefully will help again, kind of help everyone understand, be more understanding of how complex healthcare really is.
0: Do you, That's a great point. Do you think the conversations, and I'll use that term lightly, that we've had about COVID over the last couple of years, have sort of shown a light on how data can be used and seen differently. I mean, and it's maddening sometimes to to read a fact and see it one way and then having someone else completely twist it around. I guess you can do that with everything, but do you think this has sort of informed the med tech industry and healthcare industry that we do need to do a better job of presenting a clearer picture of what we're talking about in general?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that communication is key. And, yeah. and if the pandemic has shown us anything, it's also, you know, when we're rolling out certain types of Decisions about public health measures that it's it's done in a way that everyone can receive well, and and I think that that's going to be an ongoing challenge. And I think that the general public, when it comes to social media and interpreting what they're reading online, hopefully can have a healthy dose of skepticism and do their own due diligence, but also mm-hmm. understand that you know there's a lot of thought that goes into everything that they're reading online, and and especially when it comes to health, there's it's hard to provide all the context that's needed in a short message. So it can be a challenge, but I think hopefully just even with that awareness that there's often more to the story will be something that will help the entire landscape. Well, that's a great point.
0: And then last question, are you going into this position with a strategy in mind of working with the comms team and people within the company, we can do a better job of telling the story through this channel or through that channel, or do you sort of anticipate that you're going to let these ideas sort of develop organically and come up with solutions as as you sort of identify them,
2: yeah, I think it's it's gonna be uh, something that's in evolution. Um, yeah. I mean, social media platforms themselves are constantly evolving. So I think it's gonna be just an ongoing exercise in adapting to whatever messaging tool is best at at the moment and kind of gauging what the landscape is like at the moment and fitting that mold. But yeah, no, I would love to continue working with the comms team at Medtronic. You know, it from my own channels, I'm also thinking very carefully about how to discuss the conditions that, you know, matter to us in in my field and that we, you know, continuously try to improve upon through our technologies here.
0: Final, final question. Uh I'll take a, a cue from Ezra Klein, who has his podcast, and he concludes every interview with <laughs> with asking about three books people should read. I didn't prepare you for this, and I'm not going to ask you about three books, but we'll pick two. What two social media channels should folks be on if they're not already? If they're thinking like, this guy's right, I got to get out there. What are like What's the one or two they should get on first to kind of
2: get acclimated? Oh, two social media channels. We'll um, pick as many as you want, but I, I didn't want to ask you for three, but aside from my own, you're saying? Yeah. Oh, no.
0: More like if, if I'm, if I'm a med tech professional, I should, I get on Twitter first or should I do Instagram? What's a good primer? Yes. They should all be subscribing to your channels and you can feel free to, I'll, I'll mention them in the opening, but what's the platform that someone should get on if they're not on social media, but kind of want to start to get a sense of what's out there.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would say that, you know, first of all, I would, probably recommend Twitter just because the bar to entry in terms of how to consume the information, it's easier to get a hold of. And then, you know, just by sheer numbers, that's where I would say most medical professionals are currently. I know there's some variability depending on which field, but I do see things changing over time. Platforms that existed or were in its prime at one point are no longer. And and similarly, you know, we're going to see all this ebb and flow. So Instagram at some points are are where the health information is really burgeoning. And then um, at other times it's TikTok. And, um, you know, it depends on like how you consume information. Some people like reading text and other people like to uh, watch videos. And so it really depends. But yeah, if you're just kind of casually scrolling and wanting to see things at a quick glance, I would say Twitter. If you're looking for a specific topic, you know, with its searchability, I would probably say YouTube. But, you know, all these platforms have a long way to go, honestly, to ensure that the information that's being presented is accurate. And I know that many of these platforms are actively thinking about ways to help guide the viewer or the consumer and being able to access that information uh, more readily. Great points.
0: All right. I think your assessment is spot on. I haven't done Instagram yet because I have a Facebook issue. But anyway, that's <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's for another podcast. It's great to talk to you, Dr. Chang. Thank you for joining us in the podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And that is a wrap. Thanks again to Dr. Austin Chang for joining us on this podcast. Thanks also to BMF, Boston Microfabrication, for sponsoring this episode of Medtronic Talks. If you want more information about BMF, go to bmf3d.com. Dot com. If you're still listening to this episode of the podcast, I'm guessing you enjoyed it. So please do us a few favors. We'd really appreciate your subscribing to this podcast. Whatever platform you're listening to this podcast, there's a follow or subscribe button on it. Please do so to, so you don't miss a future episode of Medtronic Talks. Please also consider sharing this episode on your social media channels. If you're going to start one now after hearing Dr. Chang, let your first post be sharing the Medtronic Talks podcast. And when you do, make sure you tag Medtronic. Make sure you tag myself. I am at MedTechTom on Twitter or Tom Salemi on LinkedIn. And you can tag Dr. Chang. He is on Twitter at MD. Spells his last name, C-H-I-A-N-G. So make sure you tag all of us when you do share this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. And finally, before I let you go, make sure you go to devicetalks.com. You can find this episode of the Metronic Talks podcast and past episodes of the Medtronic Talks podcast there and on medtronic.com. You can also find information about our upcoming device talks meetings including Device Talks Minnesota on June 6th and 7th, Device Talks Boston on May 10th and 11th, and uh, we've got some early information on Device Talks West, which is happening in Santa Clara, California on October 19th and 20th. So go to devicetalks.com for a bounty of medical device insights, and information. That's it, folks. Tune in next time. We'll have another great episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast waiting for you.